Amen. All right, turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. The title of the study is Abraham's Faith Journey. So we begin this journey with Abraham. Um, We got a little rundown at the end of chapter 11 last week as we looked at the genealogy of Terah that began in verse 27. And we see that Abraham is introduced and they um, end up going to Haran from the land of the Chaldeans where he was called. Um, But we're going to see Abraham, even in our study today, we're going to see him at some high heights of faith, and we're going to see him at some low places of faith. Sometimes he's going to uh, just live exactly as the Lord would tell him to, and other times he's going to walk in fear, and we'll see one of those moments in this place. But it's interesting as we come to this that in chapter 10, we saw 70 nations Descending from Shem, Ham, and Japheth. But there's one nation in particular that God is going to be most interested in that comes from the line of of Shem. And that is Abraham. And the nation that God is going to make arise from this man and the call that he receives is going to give us more details about that as we journey through we, best as we can tell, the year is about 2166, as actually 2091, as Abram makes his way down into the land of Canaan. We begin reading there at verse 1, and we'll take it to verse 4. Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he had departed from Haran. Haran. So we read of this call to separate. Um, Get out of your country, the Lord says. The country we know from chapter 11 was Ur of the Chaldeans. This is over on the Persian Gulf. It's a seaport village. Um, We don't know exactly where the Garden of Eden is, but there's a traditional site. It's about 12 miles from that place. And it's at the mouth of the Euphrates. This was a happening place. Ur of the Chaldeans was the big city. That doesn't mean that Abraham was a city dweller, but he at least was by the city. I mean, we know as he moves into Canaan and so forth, he takes care of animals. And so he could have been living by there, taking care of animals on the outskirts of the city. But he would have known of the convenience of it. And he would have known of the impressive size and all the rest. And the Lord says, I want you to leave that. I want you to leave that behind. I want to get out of your country. And of course, then he also says in two different ways, from your family and from your father's house. This is what I want. To a land that I will show you. So it's a huge call to separate. By leaving his father's household, there would have been a giving up of some inheritance. Now, maybe this is why dad came with him. Don't know? That's speculation. He was supposed to leave dad and nephew Lot behind, but he didn't do that. Remember, at the end of chapter 11, they came with him to Haran, where the Lord, though, makes it very clear here in chapter 12 in two different ways. Get out from your your family and from your father's house. He really is trying to emphasize this point. But for whatever reasons, Abram doesn't do that. Now, maybe it was just because of a, you know, uh, an, affiliation, uh, an affection that he had for his dad. 
that was greater than his willingness to follow the Lord. Maybe it was because of this inheritance issue. We don't know. It's silent. But this would have been the challenge. You know, whenever you leave uh, home and you go start over, you know, it's inconvenient for one. They're going to travel 700 miles northwest to Haran. That's a long journey. No car, no U-Haul, no moving van, right? Just camels and people carrying stuff. And, and he makes that journey. So it's a great step of faith, but he's asking him to be separate from the rest. Uh, there's a map that they can put up, if you don't mind putting that up. And it just shows you um, one of the possible routes that Abraham took. So you can see that, I mean, yeah, that's kind of, he went out of his way. Um, he didn't have to go that far north up to Haran. He could have uh, taken another journey. So it ended up being longer. But, you know, we were called to be separate, aren't we? Don't we find that similar kind of a word there in 2 Corinthians 6, 17? says, therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, chapter 7, verse 1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from the, uh, all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So don't be like them. Be separate. God says to Abraham, the Lord says through Paul to the church at Corinth, be separate. There's wickedness all around you. But I want you to be separate. I want you to come out. I want you to be a called out people. That's the whole idea behind being holy, isn't it? Is that we are separate. We're not trying to blend in. We're not trying to live like them. We're not trying to talk like them. We're not trying to be cool like them. We are trying to be those that are being perfected in holiness out of the fear of God. That's, what, that's our, our job. It's to allow the Lord to change us and mold us in this way. Now listen, there are plenty of things in the world that um, are not necessarily evil. But there are those things which are just against God. They're a different way of living. And the Lord has called you to be separate. Not to, not to just kind of be a secret agent that kind of can infiltrate into certain areas of the culture. And then all of a sudden at the right moment spring up and say, Aha, here I am, a Christian. No, you're a city that's set on a hill. You're a light that can't be hidden. And that is the way the Lord has called us to be, is those that are set apart. That doesn't mean obnoxious, and that doesn't mean rude. That just means set apart. It means that we don't walk that way. We don't think that way. We don't talk that way. We are informed on how to live and how to be separate, not by the whims of the day or by the new philosophy or some poll, but by the Word of God. You have it. I have it. The church has had it for 2,000 years. This is the way we walk. This is what we think about critical issues. And, you know, I mean, you see it as I see it. Many within the church caving to pressure from our culture and to the worldview on all kinds of issues. One of the foremost issues is on, on you know, gender issues and on sexuality. But the, the Bible has spoken, like in the first chapter, it spoke on this issue. And so we are informed on who we are and what we think. We, we're not trying to accommodate the world. We're trying to be those that would see them come to faith in Jesus, just like we came to faith and trust in Jesus.
And so, yeah, it's different. It's separate. If you're looking for um, a, a, an ism that is going to just be in lock, stop, and barrel with this world, and the world is going to applaud you as you go, don't become a Christian. Jesus said, they hated me, and they're going to hate you. You're not greater than your master and your teacher, and if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And so this is something that we just need to understand, that being separate has a cost. There's consequences. The world says, indulge self, and Jesus says what? Deny yourself. Yeah, but I want to live. Well, Jesus said, if you really want to live, don't try to save your life. Because if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, for my kingdom, you're going to find out what it's really like to live. And that is a statement that you have to either take and believe as faith and walk out in faith or and walk out, or it's one that you won't. But the call is to be separate. But in chapter 7, verse 1, there in 2 Corinthians, he says, Therefore, having these promises. That's a key line. Those promises are the motivation for us to be separate. What are those promises? Well, if you go back into chapter 6, you see that we are the temple of the living God. The spirit of creator God lives within you and lives within me. Jesus said that he would make our hearts his home and that he, the Father, would manifest himself to us. This is a motivation because the Spirit of God dwells within us. He walks among us collectively together. We are the temple of God as well. Not just as an individual who has put faith and trust in Jesus, but you. The cornerstone is Jesus, right? But then you're a stone and you've got another stone here. We've got stones over here. And we're being fit together into a temple and collectively together, the church, not the building, the living stones, the church, we are the dwelling place of God. He walks in our midst. This is what we read in the book of Revelation, right? That Jesus walked in the midst of the lampstand. He says that he would be our God and that we'd be his people. You have a place to belong. And so many people in this life are trying to find a group that they belong with. That's ex they're accepted by. That they can say, these are my people. Well, listen, God says, you're my people. And you can't find any greater acceptance than God himself saying, you're mine. And I love you. We also find out that we are received by him and that he is our father. So these are the promises that motivate us to be a separate people. These are the promises that cause us to live differently. You've heard me say it for years. The, the goal of Christianity is not to bring moral reform. That's not the goal. That's the byproduct, okay? That will definitely happen. That's not the goal, though. The goal is to walk with God. The goal is to fellowship with Him. And as I fellowship with Him, it changes me. And the byproduct of walking with God is a changed life. Whenever we try to motivate people to, uh, to live a certain way, and it's only a moral code, it's only some code of ethics, how is that different than any other religion? How is it different than any other philosophy? But you see, Christianity is radically different. Because it's on all these promises that we seek to live a separate life. And I think that's instructive to us as parents. That's instructive to us as brothers and sisters of how we ought to deal with those that are not walking after the Lord. You can yell and scream all you, lot, 
but that's not going to produce the righteousness of God. You know, listen, there's a place for consequences. Don't get me wrong. But you got to understand, although consequences have their place, and you might be as a parent in a place to mete out some of those consequences. Be wise. Seek the Lord. Don't do it in the flesh. Don't do it in anger. But that's not going to change your kid's heart. What's going to change their heart is a meeting with the Lord. And so these promises bring us to the point of change. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Again, you see the motivation? I want to see the Lord, therefore I must walk in holiness. Is it okay? Do you feel all right with the idea that you never see God at work in your life? Uh, hopefully you're, you're sitting and go, well, that's not, that's not even a question. I mean, it's not even a possibility. I, I must see God working in my life. Then pursue peace with all people and holiness. Holiness. And this is what Paul said at the end of chapter, or in, at the end of verse 1, is that we are to perfect holiness and the fear of God. There should be a maturing of our holiness, the way we live our life. So just step back for a moment and look. How does your holiness look compared to when you were a high schooler or 10 years ago or five years ago or one year ago? I mean, some of you might be, well, when you said high school, I was good. But then you said one year ago. No, I'm not quite the man or woman that I was a year ago. Things have come in. Things have distracted me. Things have gotten my, you know, hold of my heart. I'm not as kind. I'm not as generous. I'm not as, as willing to be a, a light and a witness. I'm not serving and giving myself away like I used to. I become kind of selfish and grabby on my own life and unwilling to open the doors. Well, then we need to perfect the holiness and the fear of God, don't we? So this is what he calls him. Abraham was being called out of Ur of the Chaldeans to leave that country behind, to leave his family behind. They were idolaters. They worshipped the moon god. And he says, leave it all behind. Now, he makes great progress, but he doesn't go all the way, does he? He only goes part of the way. Um, let's move on over into verses 2 and 3, back in chapter 12 of Genesis. And here we see that God gives Abraham a promise of blessing. There are six things in particular. And depending on how you count it, you can count it seven, but two of them are duplicates. We see in verse 2, I will make you a great nation. Again, chapter 10 a table of 70 nations, but God was going to make one nation. There's going to be a special people that he was going to use to be a funnel by which his grace and his mercy and his light could go through to reach the nations. He says that he's going to bless him. And as you look, he was a prosperous man. We'll even read it today in our, our text that he grew in his possessions and his belongings. And he said that he would make his name great. What a contrast that is to the Tower of Babel where they said, let us build this tower up to the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. They wanted to have a great name. Now they've got a memorable name. Everybody knows the people collectively at the Tower of Babel, right? We all know about them, but not for good reasons. They're known for bad reasons, for being in rebellion against God. But Abraham is told, I'm going to make you and your name great. And he is a, a great, you know, we study him. We look at his life to know how to live, to know how not to live in some occasions. But he is a, he is a, a champion and a hero of both the Christian faith and Judaism 
and Islam. It's hard to get religions to agree upon one thing, but here's one thing, and it's not the most significant thing. That's unfortunate because the name above every name is Jesus. But Abraham is considered great. I mean, he experienced this. But what a contrast, again, between those two. Because you can want greatness, but if you seek after greatness the wrong way, the Lord will humble you, and he'll bring that tower down. But if you start out humble, the Lord can raise you up for his glory and for his honor. He says he's going to bless those that bless, and he's going to curse those that curse them. So I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to watch over you. And those that treat you well will be treated well. Those who treat you wrong will be treated wrong. Well, what does that mean? Well, ask Egypt after the Exodus. Or ask Babylon after they went too far and the, uh, is being used a tool to discipline Israel. Or Assyria or the Philistines. Of course, you can't even talk to these people now because they're not around. He blesses those who bless him and he curses those who don't. What about Nazi Germany? Look at the price that they paid, the incredible poverty that they fell into. And even Hitler himself would testify of the trouble that that brought upon him to curse the people of Israel. But the most significant promise the Lord makes to them is found at the end of verse 2. And at the end of verse 3, which I'm counting as one of the six blessings. At the end of verse, six, uh, verse 2, it says, and you shall be a blessing. And then at the end of verse 3, it says, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He says that twice. Because it's the most significant promise that he gives to him. What is the promise? It is that through, the, through him a descendant would come. A seed. Jesus. Born in Bethlehem. That all who would put their faith and trust in them would be forgiven and saved. And the Gentile nations of the world, you, you can't hardly go to a place. I can't think of a single place you could go to on the earth today where you would not find somebody in that land or that place that is worshiping and living for the Lord. Galatians 3.8 says, And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, and you all the nations shall be blessed. This, is, this the gospel is being preached here. Now, he doesn't understand all the, you know, the Jesus being born and dying on the cross and rising from the dead. He doesn't, he doesn't know all that. But he's saying, Abraham, you are going to be good news to the world. And indeed, in the sense that a descendant has come through Abraham, the gospel is good news. And all through the Old Testament, there is uh, a reminder that uh, the Lord wanted to use Israel. And you find it in several places in Genesis, and, and you find it in Amos, you can find it in Isaiah, that God wanted Israel to be a light to the nations. Now what happened when the light of the world came? Did they reflect his light to the nations? No, they didn't. They called for him to be crucified. And they rejected him. And now the Lord has taken the gospel to the Gentiles, to the nations of the world. Now one day, they will return. And they will put faith and trust in the Lord during the great tribulation when much has been lost. But the Lord's word will come to pass and all of Israel will be saved. They will have to be saved the same way you're saved, though. They don't get a special exemption you know, there's some pastors who teach that um, Israel does not have to have faith in Jesus because they're an elect nation. That's what you call heresy. 
That's not just bad teaching. That, that rises to a whole other level or sinks to a whole other level, probably a better way to put it. No, everybody must call upon the name of the Lord, especially the people to whom the promise was first given to. Verses 4 and 5, we see, again, Abram's partial obedience. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Well, family's still tagging along. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. I'm not going to belabor the point because we made it last week, but they were meant to go straight to Canaan, but they stopped north up there in Haran. And there they lived until it would seem Terah died, and then they traveled south. Well, why did he have to leave his family? I don't get it. Why? I don't understand why he had to do that. You know, there's a lot of things in life that God will call and do that we don't understand. And that's when we have to step back and say, your ways are higher than my ways. Your ways are past knowing, but I trust you. Are there certain things that you have ever done not fully understanding, but because the person who asked you, just their character was enough? It's like, why are we doing this again? I don't know. They just called for help, and you know, I know if they need help, if they're asking for help, I'm, I'm sure it's serious. And you go based upon the character of the person, even though you don't understand it. And this is the, this is the journey for us. There are many times where the Lord will say, go and do this, step here, step there, and you're not going to know the whole picture. You're not going to know how it's all going to work out. And you've got, you have to have faith in the Lord. But you can have faith in the Lord. You may not know why, but you know who. You know who he is, and you know what he is like. So you can fully trust the Lord. And if he says no to this, or yes to that, or stay here, or go there, you can have full faith. We have a faith. We don't have a dead religion that's just full of information. We have a faith. It's built upon trust. And you can fully trust the Lord. I don't know what it is that maybe he's calling you to do. I don't know maybe where that you stopped being obedient and you gotta just you gotta reignite that faith and you gotta finish out what God has begun to do in your life. Run. Faith comes by hearing, hearing from the word of God. You are in the right place. You are in the house of the Lord, hearing the word of God. Allow the Spirit of God to work right now in your heart. Ask him to do. Say, Lord, give me more faith to finish what you've called me to do. And, and, and walk it out. You know, there's things that you're not going to understand. There are things that you will not know. Well, why doesn't he tell us all? Listen, because a lot of times we just wouldn't do it if we knew the whole story. I'll give you one simple example. This building, when we first came, were looking at this property, um, we came over here and the goal was, all right, we're just going to do light renovations um, inside this building right here, and um, then the next thing you know, it's like, well, we're going to take off the roof. Remember, raise the roof, remember that moment? And so we took off all the roof, and then we were like, okay, we're gonna actually going to build this space, and the thing kept expanding. Um, and, and we stepped back, and I'm about to give an update here in the next week or two, just kind of, of where, because we got our certificate of final certificate of occupancy. It's all kind of wrapped up, so we're going to give you an update here. But, you know, I talked, when I talked to the elders, you can ask them this same question. If, if you would have come to me and you would have come to the elders and said, okay, we want to do this project and we want to renovate 
We want to buy it and then also renovate all whatever we did, 35,000 square feet right in the beginning, and it's going to cost this much. I would have said, you're out of your mind, and I am not doing that. I am not doing that. No way. I'm not going to do that because that's just it's not, I don't, I don't have any interest in that. But, you know, we went a little bit, and the Lord said, all right, now let's go a little bit further, and now let's go a little bit further, and let's go a bit further. Oh, and this is going to take a lot longer. Why is it taking longer? Because we're going to go farther. <laughs> and we saw the Lord provide. And that's one small area. I mean, it actually was a very large area in my life to walk through that in the elders' lives, that, that journey. But this is what happens. We don't always have enough faith at the beginning to get to the very end. And so he just says, go this far. Go and do this. And once you do that, he's not going to leave you in the dark. We have a faith that is about light. You're going to see clear. You're going to know more. And so the Lord, you can trust him. And you can go the whole way. Verses 6 through 9, he finally makes it down into the promised land and begins to worship there. And Abram passed through the land of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree of Moreh. And the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your, and said, To your descendants... Now he has none, right? He has no kids. I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. He had a radical encounter with God, right? Verse 8, And moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed going on still southward. So we can say, in the, although the account's been short, finally he's in the land and he is worshiping this God that appeared to him. He, I mean, Noah worshiped this God. You know him, but Abram, he's like a, a first-time experience. This is not something that had been passed down to him. But he has this appearance there at the end of verse 7 of God who says, come on, go. So finally he's there and he's in the land and he is worshiping him. And where he worshiped, again, a light and a witness. It says that he went as far as the terebinth tree um, of Moray. Moray, the word literally means teacher. So the thought is that it was very common for the judges or people that were going to instruct villages or the people around that area, they would gather around these trees where there would be shade, and they would instruct. Now, we know later on that the Canaanites worshipped under every green tree, is what we read, right? So there became an, an idolatrous association, which we should not make right now. But the idea would seem to indicate, because he's worshipping at the terebinth tree of Moray, this is where the teachers gathered. Um, Deborah, in the Old Testament, she sat and heard the cases of her people under the palm tree. So, you know, they didn't have courthouses. They didn't have civic halls. They had nice shade trees. And that's where the people would gather. What does Abram do? He goes to the place of Shechem as far as the, uh, the uh, cherubim tree of Torme, uh, of Moray, and he builds an altar there. As he, he didn't go into a cave. He didn't go down into some riverbed and hide. He went in plain sight of everybody. He got the stones together. He built it. He got the wood. He laid it on the stone altar. He took the animal and he sacrificed it. What are you doing? And who are you worshiping? 
I'm worshiping the God who appeared to me in the land of the Chaldeans, who said that he would make me a great nation. I am worshiping the God who created all things. This is who I am worshiping. He was not afraid. He wasn't worried about their culture because culture is one thing, but deception is another. We don't seek to honor deception. And the gods they were worshiping were gods, false gods that had deceived them. And so he comes and he just worships, if you will. He's giving witness to the faith of the one that has called him. And so he's there. But look at this line at the end of or the middle of verse 7. It says, To your descendants I will give, I will give this land. He has no descendants. And at the time that he dies, how much land of Israel was his? Well, by faith, all of it. But in reality, he only owned a cemetery plot. The cave of Machpelah. That's all that he had. And yet he had left everything. He could have looked at his life and said, man, I left everything and I'm dying and I don't even have a place to bury my wife. He had to purchase that, but though he, he was a man of faith, and he believed it. Eventually, he did have sons, and we'll get into that later. Why didn't the Lord just give it to him all right now? Well, the Lord was doing a work. He's building faith. He's doing patience. But the people of Canaan, although they were corrupt and evil, their corruption and their evil had not risen to the level that God was now ready to judge them. He was giving them space to repent, like we read about the Laodiceans in the book of Revelation. I have given you space to repent. And God does that. And so he did not immediately drive them from the land. He gives them over 400 years, 400 years to get things right. And then they are driven out of the land. Well, let's wrap this up at verses 10 through 20. And here we see that Abram goes down to Egypt and travels back. And this becomes a foreshadowing of what's going to happen to his descendants. Because when we'll get to it, his descendants are going to have to go down into the land of Egypt, right? And there's going to be a famine. And um, while they're in Egypt, um, they're going to seek to kill the males. But the females are going to be preserved. Plagues are going to come upon the Egyptians. There's going to be a a spoiling of the Egyptians' uh, goods And they're going to be delivered and they're going to come back to the promised land. And as you look at the life of Abram, it's it's just like it's a foreshadowing. It's a prophecy of what was going to happen to the entire nation. Let's read it together. Now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there. For the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Oh, Abraham, thank you. You're so kind. You're always looking out for me. Hang on a second. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say, you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake. That, and that I may live because of you. That's called patriarchal manipulation. He's concerned about himself and he's manipulating her to lie in order to take care of himself. Low light. 
right? Low spot in Father Abraham's faith journey. What he should have said is, Sarah, you know you're a good-looking woman, and everywhere you go, you always attract attention. I am confident when we get down here to Egypt that the Pharaoh is going to want to have you in his harem, and that he's going to come after you, and we know that you know, they don't want to commit adultery, but they're happy to commit murder. So they're probably going to want to murder me so they can take you as a wife and they won't be committing adultery. But you know what? Don't worry about a thing. Because this God who called us to leave Ur of the Chaldeans... No, no, he's not giving that speech, is he? <laughs> that speech is not anywhere present. He's actually going to make this mistake again. And then his son is going to make the same mistake. It's rather interesting. But he lacks the faith. Well, what's, what ends up happening is exactly what he says. They come, they take her. Uh, she enters into the harem. But, but the Lord intervenes and steps in. Look at verse 15 or 14. So it was when Abraham came to Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman and that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. So he got... He, you know, increased in his riches. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her. And go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. What Abraham was, we know him as, is a man of faith. But right here, he is not a man that's walking by faith. He is a man that is walking by what? Fear. Now, we all can know about fear. All of us have had to deal with fear in our life. And if you live past today, you're probably going to have to deal with fear again. There'll be fears that can come in your health. There'll be fears in your relationship, fears in your finances, fears of what's going to happen to you in, in ministry. There'll be fears of what's going to happen, um, you know, in this country. What's going to happen? Well, we are a people of faith, and we know how the story ends. I've read the end of the book. Have you? It says, and they all lived happily ever after. I mean, we, we're triumphant. We're victorious. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And this is no time for us to begin to make movements out of fear. We continue to walk by faith. We've been walking by faith for 2,000 years as a church. We're going to continue to walk by faith, and we're not going to allow fear. Now, here's the thing about fear. When you make decisions from the place of fear, it's going to be a bad one. And it's probably going to be one that's going to harm somebody else or you're going to come up short on the blessings that God wants to pour out on your life. You're going to limit how he can get to your life. You know, or it's going to lead you into sin like it does right here. But we're a people of faith. We're a people that trust the Lord and have a confidence in him. You're like, yeah, I wish we'd have given this message two weeks ago because I just made a terrible decision based upon fear. Well, I've got good news for you. we got an example of God's grace here, don't we? He sins. He does not have faith. He asks his sister to tell a lie. And she was his half-sister. We'll get to that later. But, you know, this is, this is his sin. 
And what ends up taking place is that he ends up leaving Egypt with more stuff than he came with. Just like the, his descendants, right? That they are going to end up um, spoiling uh, the Egyptians when they leave. They're just going to ask for their stuff, and they're going to be so glad to get rid of them, they just give all kinds of stuff. You know, we might expect this. Like, and so Pharaoh command, commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away. His wife and nothing else all remained behind. And we say, well, you know, it's kind of it's what you deserve, Abraham. But, you know, it isn't what, you know, what he deserves. It's, it's God's grace that he ends up experiencing. So maybe you did make a bad decision, or maybe you've made a series of bad decisions. Well, you know what? Stop where you are. Acknowledge it. Begin to walk by faith again and ask for God to be gracious to you, and he will do this. The Lord has a plan for Abraham, and even his errors are not going to stop it. He's going to accomplish what he wants to do. As we close, 1 Corinthians 10, 11, just kind of a good reminder for us as we think about going through the Old Testament here. It says, now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition. These things are here for our instruction, that we should be separate, that we should be people that are worshiping out loud, where the people gather, instructing and telling people about the Lord, that we should be a people that are completing the journey that God has called us on, that we should be a people that are walking by by faith and trusting the Lord and not allowing fear to grip us and watching that the Lord is going to deliver us. The Lord said it, he would never leave us nor forsake us. That's all, that's all we need to know. He's going to be with us every step of the way. And so if you're in need of faith, I pray that today the Lord has strengthened your faith to cast your eyes upon him afresh and to follow him with what he has planned for us collectively as the church and his overall program for this world. But as you seek him, those specific areas of your life. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for your word that teaches us both what to do and what not to do. Our heroes, Lord, you've portrayed them in a light that shows us when they triumph and when they fail. And Lord, we thank you that even though he had failures like this, he's still called a man of faith. And Lord, we pray that our eyes would be cast upon you afresh this morning. 